Hello out there, science nerds. You're listening to Evolving with Mr. V, a weekly podcast that covers the week that was in AP Dual Credit Biology and much more. I'm your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, and this is officially episode 29, week 29 and 30th of the 2019-2020 school year. In this week's podcast, we'll recap the week of March 30th to April 3rd and the week of April 6th to April 9th, the second and third week of our distance learning. And we'll also get you ready for the upcoming quiz on Monday, April 13th. In this week's second segment, I'll go over the latest news about the AP Biology exam. We'll discuss date, time, and what to expect when it comes to this adjusted AP Biology exam. So stay tuned. And in our final segment, I'll do some quick spoiler-free reviews of some shows and movies you should check out during this quarantine spring in a new segment I call TV Streaming with Mr. V. Now, before we begin the podcast, we need to hear from our sponsor in a segment I call Mr. V Needs to Buy Some Face Mask. This episode is brought to you by Distance Learning. Hey, are you tired of the same traditional schooling? You know, waking up at 8 a.m., attending top-notch facilities, getting face-to-face instruction, learning the skills and content that will carry you on to your future occupation? Hey, are you fed up with interacting with fellow colleagues, exchanging ideas, and participating in all sorts of extracurricular activities? Well, if so, try distance learning. That's right, try distance learning and explore a whole new way of education. With distance learning, you set up your wake time, 10, 11, noon, 3 p.m. You wake up when you want. Moreover, you work at your own pace. You can work on lessons daily, keeping up with your teacher's daily schedule, or work on them hastily the hour before you need to submit them. Hey, and with distance learning, you can also attend daily Zoom meetings and interact with your instructor and colleagues, expanding your knowledge or fake out your instructor by logging in and disabling the video and sleeping through hours of important content interaction. So forget traditional schooling and try distance learning. Side effects of distance learning may include increased body odor, a total disregard of personal appearance, excessive flatulence, an increase in pajama attire, an increase in weight gain, rooting for Joe Exotic, and frog licking. And we're back. So let's go ahead and hit that rewind button and review the weeks that were in AP Biology. So let's recap the week of March 30th to April 3rd, where our big concept we focused on was microevolution, the evolution of populations where we study evolution at its smallest scale. Now, when it comes to microevolution, we must discuss the Hardy-Weinberg theorem slash equilibrium equation, which we can apply to populations over generations to calculate genotype and allele frequencies and observe, are they going to be constant or are they going to be changed? So it's pretty much math to prove evolution, that populations change over time. Now remember, the Hardy-Weinberg equation states that P squared plus 2PQ plus Q squared equals 1, where P2 represents those in a population that are homozygous dominant, 2PQ represents those that are heterozygous, and Q squared represents those that are homozygous recessive in a population. And if we're studying a single gene where only two alleles exist, the genotypes and allele frequencies must equal one in a population if in Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium. 
Now, for a population in Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium, the allele and genotype frequencies stay constant over generations, aka they don't change. But for this to occur, five conditions have to exist, which are no mutations, a large population, random mating, no natural selection, and no migration. So notice, when we apply these conditions and equations to most natural populations, they're not at Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium, which means, wait for it, that's right, they are evolving. That's right, using math to show evolution. Now, if you're a little rusty on this, go back and make sure you watch the lectures over microevolution and the agents that cause microevolution, like gene flow, genetic drift, mutations, natural selection, and non-random mating. Also, go back and rewatch the video example of a Hardy-Weinberg problem being worked through. And that pretty much recaps the week of March 30th to April 3rd that was an AP dual credit biology. This just in, there will be a Hardy-Weinberg problem on the upcoming quiz. I repeat, there will be a Hardy-Weinberg problem on the upcoming quiz. Be prepared. Now, let's get to the important recap, the recap of this past week, which will get you ready for the majority of the quiz on Monday. And our main topic we discussed, speciation, aka macroevolution, along with the origin of life. So let's first discuss speciation, macroevolution, the formation of a new species. How does it happen? Well, by reproductive isolation, where a large population gets split and can no longer reproduce with each other and over millions of years evolve independently of each other and evolve into different species. So, speciation is caused by reproductive isolation. But what can split a population that will cause it to become reproductively isolated? Well, that's where barriers come in, and we divide them into two categories. Prezygotic barriers, those that prevent a zygote, a fertilized egg, from forming, and postzygotic barriers, where a zygote forms but fails to develop into a species. Let's focus first on prezygotic barriers. Once again, those that prevent a zygote from forming, which there are six. Six prezygotic barriers that possibly cause the speciation and are now preventing closely related species from becoming a single species again. First up, we have geographic isolation slash barrier, also known as allopatric speciation, where a physical barrier splits a population. And guys, that physical barrier can be something like a river, a canyon, a glacier, and it could even be man-made things like a dam, a superhighway, something that splits the population and they can no longer reproduce with each other. They can't physically cross that physical barrier, and over millions of years, they could evolve independently and become different species. Now we also have ecological or habitat isolation slash barrier, a type of sympatric speciation where there's no physical barrier like allopatric, but something 
something else separates a population. In this case, different habitats. They live in the same area, but they occupy different habitats, so they never meet each other. A good example of this is what I talked about in our lecture notes. The garter snakes. They live in the same area, but one lives on land all the time. The other one lives in water, so they never meet each other to reproduce anymore. So this is what possibly causes speciation and are not preventing them from becoming a single species. Another type of isolation is temporal isolation slash barrier, also a type of sympatric speciation where closely related species develop different mating periods. Maybe they started to mate at different times of the season, maybe a different time of the day, so they no longer reproduce with each other. They have become reproductively isolated. We also have behavioral isolation slash barrier, also a type of sympatric speciation where closely related species develop different mating rituals. Maybe it's a mating call or a mating ritual to attract mates that's specific for just their species, which once again possibly causes speciation and are preventing these closely related species from becoming a single species again. Another prezygotic barrier is mechanical isolation slash barrier, where reproductive organs no longer fit with each other, where you have these closely related species, but their reproductive organs, which for humans, it's hard to imagine, but for other life, especially insects, no longer fit. They get stuck and they could end up damaging, dying, or breaking these parts off. And our last type of prezygotic barrier is gametic isolation slash barrier, where the sperm of one species cannot fertilize the egg of another. Even if they're close related, there's just no compatibility. Either the sperm doesn't fit into the egg, almost like that kind of key and lock mechanism, or the sperm ends up dying in the reproductive tract of the female because of an immune response or just some other chemical incompatibility. So once again, all those were pre pre-zygotic or pre-reproduction barriers that cause speciation and are now preventing closely related species from becoming a single species. Now let's recap post-zygotic barriers, where a zygote forms, but something occurs that prevents it from becoming a species. And for this type of barrier, we have three. First, we have reduced hybrid viability, where the zygote forms, but then from there, it's all downhill. Sometimes the zygote might not completely develop into the offspring, or if it develops into the offspring, if it's actually born, it's feeble. It has genetic disorders, and it does not survive to become its own species. Another post-zygotic barrier is reduced hybrid fertility. This is where the zygote develops, the offspring's actually born, and it's viable, it's, you know, it's vigorous, it can do work, it's healthy, but it is sterile. It cannot have any offspring of its own. Our classic example here is when you made a horse and a donkey and you end up getting a mule. A mule is vigorous, it's healthy, it could do work, but it is sterile. And lastly, we have hybrid breakdown, where that first generation is all good for the offspring. It develops, it's all good, but after that first generation, everything breaks down. The next generation is usually feeble, uh, it's pretty small, it's not completely healthy, and then they also end up being sterile. So after that first generation, that entire population just crashes, so it never becomes its own species. 
Now, for the upcoming quiz on Monday, know these really well. Most likely, you will be given examples that you will have to analyze and then determine, is it prezygotic or postzygotic, and then specify the type of isolation or barrier. So guys, make sure you get your study on and know these well. Now, the last concept to recap for the week is origin of life. How did life possibly take hold on this planet of ours? Well, there are several hypotheses out there. Not any, not really any good theories, but there are several hypotheses. However, we mostly focused on one hypothesis, which is the spontaneous abiotic origin idea. Now, when it comes to the spontaneous abiotic origin hypothesis, it's the idea that organic material, the building blocks of life, form from inorganic material spontaneously billions of years ago. Now, when it comes to this hypothesis, we make some assumptions about what the early Earth was like 4 billion years ago, which we believe was a reducing atmosphere. Now, what does that mean? Reducing atmosphere? That means no free oxygen available. We believe there was a lot of hydrogen along with a lot of carbon dioxide, water, methane, nitrogen. We believe there were some energy sources like from the sun, like heat, UV radiation, and possibly also lightning and volcanic activity. But notice, no free oxygen. All the oxygen was tied up in water and carbon dioxide. Now, with all these possible ingredients available billions of years ago, two scientists came along, Uray and Miller, and decided, hey, let's mix up all these ingredients together in this huge glass apparatus, add some energy like heat, UV radiation, maybe some electrical sparks to represent lightning, and see, will organic material form from inorganic substances? Well, to everyone's amazement, just after a couple of weeks, amino acids formed, which was huge because guys, remember, amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. And remember, all life is pretty much protein-based, actual organic material. And not only that, the nitrogen-based adenine was also formed. And guys, that's also huge. Remember, adenine is what we find in DNA, RNA, you know, forming nucleotides, but also in ATP. So pretty big experiment showing that organic material can form from inorganic material. And once we have organic material, well, that's when life can possibly start to take hold, considering all life is made of organic matter. So from organic matter, how do we get to an actual cell? Well, first, possibly from the formation of protobionts, a lipid membrane bubble that can reproduce, split into more bubbles, and can do simple metabolism, like breaking down a sugar or an organic compound into smaller components, but not an actual cell yet. Notice no genetic material like DNA or RNA yet. So when did genetic material evolve? Well, with organic material forming like adenine and other nitrogen bases, it could have started coming together to form genetic material. But not DNA, but more likely RNA evolved first, being a lot more multifunctional. 
because you see with RNA, it works as an enzyme. It could be a ribozyme and actually help with chemical reactions and help with metabolism. It could transport material like tRNA. It could store the genetic code like messenger RNA. It's a lot more multifunctional. So we believe it possibly evolved first and then DNA evolved later just to store the genetic code. So with organic material around, protobionts, the shell of a cell, and genetic material, it wouldn't be illogical that they came together to form the first cells. Now, make sure and go back and review your notes and the lectures over Origin of Life. But here's a little secret for the quiz on Monday. I will not ask questions over Origin of Life notes beyond RNA being hypothesized to be the first genetic material to evolve. So for the quiz on Monday, focus on the hypothesis of spontaneous abiotic origin, protobionts, and RNA evolving. And guys, with this, it pretty much puts a bow on the week that was in AP dual credit biology. Now, before we end this segment, let's recap the assignments that will be turned in this week on Monday the 13th. First will be the speciation problem set. Second, the speciation and origin of life problem set. And finally, the Khan Academy lessons all due on midnight on Monday the 13th. So set that on your agenda. And now for our second segment, an update on the upcoming AP Biology exam coming up in May. So, some big news dropped on Friday about the details of the AP Biology exam and its modifications due to the COVID-19 outbreak. So let's go over the biggest news about the AP Biology exam. So first big news, the date. The date of the AP Biology exam will be Monday, May 18th at 1 p.m. Central Time. So once again, mark that on your agenda right now. Some other big news, we got details about the two questions they're going to ask on the AP Biology exam. Once again, they're both FRQ questions. Question number one, 25 minutes, and it's going to have you to interpret and evaluate experimental results. So you're going to have 25 minutes where they're going to give you some sort of scenario that has like a table, a graph, and then they're going to have four parts to this question where they're going to ask you to kind of explain a biological process. Maybe it could be something like photosynthesis or an enzyme action. Then they're going to tell you to identify experimental design procedures, maybe trying to figure out a control in the experiment, maybe a null hypothesis. They're going to ask you to analyze data. So you're going to have to look at the data and be able to give some information about it and then justify predictions, kind of make an explanation about what that data is trying to tell us. So once again, that's question number one, 25 minutes, and then you'll have five minutes to submit your answer. Now for question number one, it will be worth the majority of the points, eight to 10 points for question number one. Now for question number two, you will have 15 minutes and it will be a question going over more a conceptual analysis over a authentic kind of scenario describing a biological phenomena with a disruption. And guys, this question will also have multiple parts. Now, this question will only be worth four points. Now, while only worth four points, they will be valuable points. And guys, when it comes to this question, the four parts they're going to ask about this is for you to describe that biological 
biological concept in that scenario they present. They're going to going to ask you to explain a biological concept or that process and then kind of predict the cause or effect of a change. So they're going to do something to disrupt it. For example, I could imagine maybe this being a protein synthesis kind of scenario where then they throw in a mutation and you kind of have to describe well, what that mutation is going to cause. And then you're going to have to justify your predictions, kind of explain how or what process is being affected and what the outcome is going to be. And then for this question, you will have five minutes to submit your answer. So to recap, two questions, 50 minutes. Question number one, 25 minutes. Question number two, 15 minutes with five minutes to submit each question. Five minutes for question number one, five minutes for question number two. Now, a couple other details. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, can I use my notes? Can I use uh, my book? Guys, it's going to be open notes. But here's the thing. The questions are going to be screened so that no points are going to be available via a Google search. And also, you're not going to have time to kind of look up stuff online. Once again, notice they don't give you a lot of time to formulate your actual answer. Uh, questions are going to focus on applying content. Guys, you're going to be able to use any of your electronic devices to take your exam. You're going to be able to use your phone, a tablet, a laptop, a computer. Now, whatever device you use to retrieve the question must be the one that you have to submit your answer to. So you can't kind of, you know, log in with one computer, see the question, and then submit your answer on a different computer. No, it has to be the same one. Your answers can be handwritten and uploaded or typed into the platform that they're going to have you answer. Uh, you're going to have an on-screen timer that could be shut off, but then that's going to be tricky because then you know you have to be able to track your time. Now, College Board is working on a simulation to practice this format. There's not one available yet, but hopefully they'll have one very soon that they'll push out so you can get a little bit of practice on this format. And guys, teachers will receive a copy of your student work, so I'm going to be able to see what you actually turn in. So guys, that's a lot of information information. But guys, on Edmodo, I've already sent you this. I sent you this page. I put it on a post and I'm going to send it again so you can review it and start getting yourself ready for this AP Biology exam. Guys, I'm going to start giving you a lot of material. There's AP Biology review sessions from College Board that I already have linked to Edmodo. I'm going to continue putting those links there. I'm also going to start giving you practice FRQs, kind of sharpening your skills and getting you ready for that AP Biology exam. Now for our final segment called Streaming with Mr. V, where I recommend some TV shows and movies you can stream and enjoy during the shelter-in-place times. One of the first movies you can stream for a small price on Amazon Prime is Knives Out, a delicious murder mystery movie with great performances from Daniel Craig, aka James Bond, and Chris Evans, aka Captain America, along with pretty much everyone else in the movie. They all do a great job with their performance. Now, this movie is a hilarious whodunit movie where you think it's going one way, then it suddenly zigs and zags and goes another way. So it's a clever, expertly crafted movie that will leave you thinking about the end for a while. So a definite must watch and a big two thumbs up for Knives Out.
Another movie I highly recommend that you can stream, this one from Disney Plus, is Disney Pixar's movie called Onward. And guys, with Onward, Pixar does it again. It definitely gives you the feels with a heartwarming story of two sons on a journey to see their dad for one more day. Now, this also has a little twist where you think it's going in one direction, then swerves in another. Now, I wouldn't rank this Pixar movie, I wouldn't rank Onward up there with the Toy Stories or Up or Inside Out, but I would rank it more in the middle of the pack, like with Cars and The Good Dinosaur. One last recommendation for TV streaming is a show from Netflix. And guys, do I even have to say it? Tiger King. Tiger King is a must watch. Guys, this is one of the most bonkers documentary I have ever seen. I can't recommend this enough. And I know watching that first episode, you might be thinking it's like, oh, this might not be for me. Guys, just watch the second and you're going to be hooked. Every episode leaves you thinking, oh, wow, these people are bonkers. They can't get any crazier. Oh, no. The next episode, they get even crazier and it just goes completely bonkers. And guys, it's one of these documentaries. It's one of these shows where it's like you're trying to figure out who should I be rooting for? But you can't. All these people are just crazy. They're doing things that are that are beyond shenanigans. And once again, it's a must watch. I don't want to spoil anything away. But guys, give it a watch. It's short. It's only seven episodes. Each episode's only about 40, 45 minutes. And guys, once again, it makes you think that, wow, I can't believe these people exist in this world. And it kind of leaves you thinking like, wow, which, which of these kind of demons can I root for? Kind of looking at the less evil one. And I I think most of you will probably start rooting for Joe Exotic, but even him, you have issues with. So once again, a definitely much watch Tiger King on Netflix. Well, guys, there you have it. Knives Out, Onward, and Tiger King. Three things you can stream during these quarantine times. And that was Streaming with Mr. V. And now for a couple last minute reminders. Guys, make sure you check your Edmodo and your Instagram course page daily. Guys, make sure you're turning your assignments in on time. And guys, reach out. If you need help, you're having issues with distance learning, that's what I'm here for. Reach out through email, reach out through Edmodo message, send me an Instagram message. Make sure you come into contact with me if there's any issues whatsoever. And guys, don't forget the lectures. Make sure you check out those online lectures that I'm dropping via YouTube. Well, that brings us to an end of episode 29, week 29 and 30th of Evolving with Mr. V. I hope you found this podcast informative and somewhat entertaining. I want to thank Free Music Archive and Sound Bible for the music and sound effects on the podcast. This podcast was written, produced, and recorded by Velasquez Productions. Once again, don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast on your podcast listening platform. Feel free to email me at ovelas at nsd net with any comments or feedback make sure that you also follow the podcast on the instagram page called evolving with mr v and help me get that verified status well this is your host mr oscar velasquez your master of the biological arts signing off and reminding you to please please for your professor's sake get out of your pajamas and put on some decent clothes on Next